0: Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today we are covering the topic of Molinism. And not just any old kind of Molinism, it is mere Molinism. And we'll kind of explain what that is uh, when I invite my guest on in just a few moments. Um, But folks um, typically like this topic. It's kind of uh, when you talk about Calvinism, whether you love Calvinism, whether you hate Calvinism, Uh, It seems that people are always interested in the topic. And I think the same thing with uh, Molinism, whether you love it, whether you hate it, uh, folks find the topic quite fascinating. And so um, I'm actually really excited to um, to be speaking about this topic today with my guest. And so um, if I can kind of categorize my favorite topics to discuss, it would probably have to be um, apologetic methodology. You guys know I'm a presuppositionalist. I love talking about methodological issues. I love talking about the Calvinism issue. I enjoy talking about Molinism a lot and um, probably creation, uh, you know, old earth, young earth. Those are the fun, you know, if you want to start a barroom brawl between peace loving Christians, just bring up one of those topics and he sure does uh, see some fireworks. So, uh, but there's not going to be any fireworks here. Uh, I don't want you guys to get it twisted. I know the thumbnail says "Rest in Peace, Mere Uh, but uh, you know it's kind of tongue in cheek. Um, but, but that being said, my guest has actually done something quite impressive that I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys. And um, we'll kind of jump into that topic um, in in detail. So before I invite uh, my guest Colton Carlson on, I want to make just a quick little a couple of things here that I want you guys to be aware of. Tomorrow, I'm going to be having Eric Hernandez on to talk about apologetics and abortion. So if you're interested in um, how to do apologetics within the context of discussions on abortion, um, you're not going to want to miss that discussion. So that's tomorrow at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. I also am going to be having on Luke, uh, Luke Pearson, who is the pastor, is a pastor at Apologia Church over there in um, uh, Arizona. That is the, uh, it's the church where James White goes and there's a pastor, Jeff Durbin, Durbin is over there. Uh, we're going to be talking about apologetics in the local church. That's going to be um, on June 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern. So looking forward to that. Also, I am um, holding my online apologetics course that the, the classes are going to start on June 7th. So if folks are interested in kind of doing a five week kind of structured um, course on presuppositional apologetics, presup you, that's what it's called. Uh, folks can actually sign up right now on revealed apologetics.com. Um, and so that sign up period is going to be open uh, from now all the way up until June 7th. So um, if you're interested in that, that is a great way to support revealed apologetics. It takes a lot of work to prepare for a lot of these things. And so, um, financial support is very, very helpful. So I do appreciate it. However, whether it's donating through the donate page on the website or signing up for a course, all those things are super, super helpful and it's greatly appreciated. Well, without all with, with all of those things out of the way, we have a nice little crowd here. Um, without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest, Colton Carlson. How are you doing, man? I'm doing
1: fantastic. Um, so privileged and uh, honored to be here. So
0: Well, thank you for for that. It's not that big of a deal, but hey, man. (laughs) I'm honored. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's right. I Eli. That's right. So I've allowed you to be graced by my presence. (laughs) All right. Well, um, why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are, and then we'll kind of get into what I found quite fascinating is this, um, I guess, this paper that started out kind of like a paper but kind of turned into a book on the topic that we're going to be discussing so why don't you share with folks who you are before we get into all that
1: yeah sure so uh colton carlson i'm a mathematics and philosophy teacher at uh mission heights preparatory high school i teach actually in casa grande arizona which is around like 30 minutes or so south of phoenix i've actually been to De- jeff Durbin's, uh mm-hmm. church before i met both him and luke Great okay. people, great people. Um, their apologetics uh, min- uh, ministry on uh, Mormonism and Latter Day Saints beautiful. I've learned so many things from them. Mm. So uh, yeah, so I'm kind of in that same area. I have a uh, two degrees. So uh, because I, I'm going to say why I have two degrees in a bit, but I uh, have two degrees: uh, secondary mathematics education, and then also theology and Bible. So philosophy. Mm. What I teach at my charter school is an elective so high school philosophy i teach them um, kind of like topical scenarios and uh, ethical dilemmas and teach them a bit about logic and big stuff about philosophy so yeah and my interests include this so we have similar interests uh i'm mainly focused more of on the free will and responsibility side and compatibilism determinism calvinism right stuff like that so
0: yeah, just for to give folks a heads up, if you're interested in this whole sort of debate, if you guys know a while back, um, Tim Stratton debated James White on the topic of, uh, is Molinism biblical? And I think Colton and Tyler Vela did an excellent job with a three-part um, review of the debate. Totally not boring. It's fun because uh, they have good chemistry, and as they're kind of interacting with each other, but it's also just a really great uh, resource to kind of unpack how one might approach this topic and analyze some of the arguments that that Tim puts forth. And of course, this is nothing against Tim. I don't want to waste too much time saying this because I know every. I think we always caveat caveat um, these sorts of discussions with this, but we think that Tim is a great guy. We just think he's wrong. <laughs> on this specific topic, so uh, so that's all. So there's there's no. I know he'll probably watch this, um, but um, you know, Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he will. He will. <laughs> Trust me, he'll be coming out with a ten part response video. Now I'm just kidding. Well, he might. Well, you never know. So, uh, if God actualizes a world in which He sees it, and that's that's what He wants to do, it'll it'll happen. So
1: we'll give Him glory. So
0: that's right. Amen. So, um, what what caught my attention, Colton, was that you intended to interact with uh, Tim Stratton's work just kind of briefly. Be like you know, maybe I'll write an article or something like that, maybe a blog post, and then like a link, a snap, uh, turn around three times, and now you've written a three hundred page interaction with. Uh, what Tim Stratton calls mere Molinism. My question to you is, what the heck, bro? <laughs>
1: yeah, right. No, uh, there's a couple of reasons why. So I did start off like uh, after his book came out, um, which I was really excited for, mm-hmm. but it was just so lackluster and just dull. Uh, and I actually have it right here. I'm looking at it, but I, I went to town on the book. I don't know if you can kind of see some parts, but I did. Uh, do a lot of highlighting in the book so i, mean, I did read it
0: uh, let's get a short. close let's get a close up on that later Maybe i've read later. a
1: lot of your book uh okay. so, oh. yes <laughs> oh, right. um, those Great. of you who don't like writing shame on you you should write and you <laughs> learn a lot but i did read it i probably read it close to five times at least the philosophy and theology sections Sure. but basically i was so disappointed with it i was going to do like a 20 page because i had a lot of personal correspondence with stratton through like facebook groups and so forth so i wanted to do like a 20 page kind of i don't know review of the book like review like i wanted to review it and then Bignon came out with his review i'm like oh i'm done <laughs> uh, i don't need to do it at all he came out with it on january 1st 2020 and i was like this is great this is basically everything i wanted to say uh, it's short, concise. I mean, he told everyone to pack a lunch when he sent it out, and I packed a lunch, and I enjoyed <laughs> that. And uh, two months later, Stratton, uh, because we all knew he was going to, I was just waiting. Sure, He posted a, a review, or sorry, a rejoinder of you know, 50 pages in response. And again, so lackluster, so disappointing uh, with the response. Um I believe Stratton said one time to Bignon, he was unimpressed with Bignon's uh, negative argumentation against the consequence argument. Well, I'm going to return the favor. I was really unimpressed with Stratton's defenses of Bignon. And so to me, I was like, well, then I have to do something. And that's when I started meeting with some other fellow uh, Molinists and incompatibilists, so not just Calvinists, but incompatibilists, who had similar views on Stratton's work. And we started kind of talking and we started developing this kind of friendship. And one thing led to the other. I started writing, 20 pages became 50, 100, 150, 300. <laughs> 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 it just <laughs> happened.
0: just was- jumped from like 50, 100, yeah, 300. My wife
1: was like, uh, <laughs> when I kept telling her how long it was and she kept, her mouth kept dropping, like what, what, what? uh so it's kind of an inside joke but um yeah so i call it brief i know if you're the the title is called a brief philosophical and dialectical inquiry on mere molinism Mm a compatibilist reply so on my uh, preface i actually if you go to the link and go to academia and download it you read my preface i actually explain all this but i keep the word brief in the title kind of for like Hilarious, sentimental reasons. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I think I I do it because I kind of do it as a tribute to uh, Vin Inwagon. So Vin Inwagon's famous work, An Essay on Free Will, where he exposits his consequence argument. And when you read it, you're like, this is no essay. This is is a whole book, and you're going to town and arguing for incompatibilism. And so I'm kind of like, as a tribute to him. I kept the word brief in there and I okay. thought it was kind of hilarious and cheeky. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah. Now, quick question. So you, you described Stratton's book, or I think both his book and his response to being as lackluster. Yeah. Now, without getting into the specifics, cause you're kind of, you're going to kind of go into that. In what yes. sense? In what sense would you describe his both his book and his response as being lackluster? What do you What do you mean by that? And why? And why? Well,
1: I'll about? give one example, I guess. So, in personal correspondence with Stratton, after his thirteen plus hour responses to Binyan in two thousand twenty, where you were a part of, I mm-hmm. I watched all those videos. So, when you're interviewing Binyan and their responses back with flowers, uh, Hunter and Him himself and then also his other reply with Tim Fox afterwards sure I watched every single one took detailed notes on every single one and uh, I was uh, talking to Stratton somehow on Facebook and he was basically saying hey just wait for my book like stay tuned I'm Mm -hmm. gonna explain a lot of this I'm like okay like you make a good case not convinced but I really want to look at your book because your articles are kind of like For the layman and they're not they don't go in detail so i want the book because i'm expecting it to go into detail sure and there's some things he's not going to remember but i remember Uh, there's some things in personal correspondence that's like does he deal with do you deal with guidance control or fisher revisa's uh contemporary compatibilism and he kind of alluded to me at least to the fact that yes anyone who's familiar with the literature will know that i allude to that and i'm like oh great I got an incompatible good reply that has to do with Molinism, and this would be great. When I got the book, I ordered it as soon as I had the money or as soon as my wife allowed. And then uh, I read it in, like, I think two weeks or so. And that's why I was so lackluster, because none of what he promised actually cashed out for me. It was mm. virtually, to me, a ripoff of his blogs. It was, and Bignon points this out ad nauseum in his own review. That a lot of it was just his blogs, just regurgitated. Uh, Some sections, like the historical section, didn't make any sense. Why do you need that historical section in there? And then he never explained why we need the categorical ability to do otherwise, which I'm going to explain in a bit. So these are some, like, to me, like some issues that I've wanted resolved that I felt like maybe my hopes are too high. I don't know. But he did hype it up a lot. We know that.
0: (laughs) that's fair
1: <laughs> he, he hyped it up so much that i was just expecting too much i don't know but that's why i consider mm-hmm. it lackluster and then yes his rejoinders are better yes i'll, I'll admit that his rejoinder to being on is a little bit better but uh it still doesn't it doesn't have the philosoph- philosophical philosophical oomph that it sure, needs uh, sure. and that's that's a problem so,
0: and I, I would say too that the criticism is uh is of what stratton has put out is not simply coming from other calvinists it's coming from other yeah. Molinists as well so I think that's that's yeah. important to, to keep in mind so um and, and I think charity is is in place here I, I appreciate how when Tim said hey wait for my response uh, your attitude of like all right great because you guys you you we know this that when we're talking about some of these issues it takes a lot to unpack and to kind of just get it all out. So th- th- yeah. we want to be charitable even after watching this. And Tim says, Hey, you know, I want to have an opportunity to address that. Like, Hey, this is a, this is an active, you know, topic we're willing to interact and kind of take the time to kind of plow through the stuff. And so, you know, responses are welcome. That's how we, that's how we learn. So I do, I do appreciate that attitude that you had. And, um, um, hopefully the, the, the dialogue if we can say not that we're talking in the behind the scenes but hopefully that debate can kind of have a healthy uh continuation as we continue to move towards exactly. uh, yep. hopefully closer to the truth so all right well um okay so you wrote this 300 uh page monster which by the way a lot of people appreciate i have some comments here someone said thank you for making it available on the internet uh yes thank you very much it's the worst when someone writes something and then you have to like go through a paywall and you're like, I'm too broke to pay for an article. Come on, man. So I appreciate that. It's free. It's wonderful. Um, So what was your overall aim and uh, the methodology that you took to kind of begin to unpack where you wanted to go uh, with respect to interacting with, with Tim's work here concerning um, Mere Molinism?
1: Yeah, I I think you said it perfectly. It, It was dialectical and conversational, hence the title. So i wanted it to be more of a philosophical approach a compatibilist philosophical approach to molinism and his overall response but i also wanted it to be conversational so there's actually some parts in some sections which i may use less than professional uh philosophical language because i wanted it to be approachable in that sense i wanted it to almost seem like a dialogue where, hey, he's saying something, I'm responding to it. What's the next thing he says? Yes. This, I'm responding to it. And here's how maybe Beyonce said or some other philosopher or theologian said this, how does that incorporate with Stratton's overall Molinistic framework? Here's how, and then we move on. So I kind of wanted it to be that. Okay. Um, also, I wanted it to be a philosophical defense for compatibilism. And I'm gonna highlight that word there. Defense mm-hmm. it is not an argument for compatibilism. And I know Stratton has already confused negative and positive argumentation with Bignon himself.
0: You interviewed
1: Bignon about that uh, when their whole consequence argument controversy and Bignon's like, what? That has nothing to do with the consequence argument. Uh, So I want to highlight that part. If you're going to read this 300 pages, don't see it as where's the argument for compatibilism? It, it's not there. I will assume compatibilism all the way throughout the whole the whole book. I'll assume determinism all the way throughout the whole book. I'm on the defensive mode,
0: mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. means
1: who's in the offensive mode? Stratton. Right. <laughs> He's the one who published the book, full of arguments. I'm going to look at those arguments and be defensive. Bignon did the same when he did his uh, review, a okay. uh, uh, review of. Uh, near Molinism, so I, I will pretty much uh, assume something very similar, a, a similar methodology. And so, I do allude to other arguments for compatibilism, such as uh, Vignons or vivellans which we'll kind of get to a little bit. Um, Anderson's kind of arguments and definitional stuff or guidance control that will be in volume two, but uh, yeah, and so this is a defense, not an argument,
0: sure. Okay. Okay. I that's. That a, good. I think that's important to keep in mind. That's a good a good point there. Just as a heads up, folks, if you if you're familiar, I think Tim has put something out indicating that he's coming out with another edition to uh, his Ooh. book. Uh, what, what's the name of the book again? It's. It, I forgot the name of the book. It's
1: Human Freedom, Divine Foreknowledge, and Mere Molinism, and he's just okay. going to call it Second Edition. I'm pretty sure okay. he's going to subtitle so.
0: Okay. Yeah. So. So again. So if he addresses everything that you're going to be talking about here in there, I'd like, be of- That'd be <laughs> great. Yeah. So. So that's fine. So it's, if someone says, "Hey, man, if you're a fan of Tim's work and you're like, wait a minute, man, you got to wait for the second edition," like that's cool. Like we're down for the second edition. That's uh, yeah.
1: The issue you know, is the second edition's not out yet. So right.
0: Right. <laughs> um. All right. So. Um, let's move down to, uh, if I, we have our outline here, that's kind of the introductory stuff that's out of the way here. We have on the outline libertarianism. Uh, why don't you define some terms for us and then kind of jump into how this relates to the overall approach that you've taken to interact with Tim?
1: Yeah. So libertarianism is a simple thesis. Libertarianism is just the thesis of incompatibilism and free will some of the time. So that what that means is, uh incompatibilism must be true. So you can't be determined and free at the same time. Otherwise, that would be compatibilism. Okay. So that needs to be true. And also a necessary condition for libertarianism is that humans need to possess some sort of freedom some of the time. It doesn't need to be all the time. It doesn't need to be uh, more times than not. It just means some of the time. So it could be one time in their life or it could be 50 times in their life. It doesn't really matter. It just needs to have some sort of freedom. Hmm. Okay, so that's the basic definition and so in section 2.1.1 uh specifically and i am going to throw page numbers out and i hope that's uh okay for the audience so all along and but uh page 14 uh, stratton has this claim of libertarian compatibilism and he's often said that before Bignyan has criticized him in his own review about it but i I agree. Like uh, So for instance, Strand says this in 161, page 161 of his book. He says, indeed, given the above definitions of libertarianism, so all the definitions he kind of describes in his book. Um, but By the way, he says his limited libertarian freedom, which we're going to get into a bit, it's the uh, ability to do um, something compatible with your nature. So consistent or compatible with your nature. So it's not against your nature. It's just compatible with it. So we're going to see what that means. So given those definitions and everything he's explained, Stratton writes, both compatibilism and libertarianism might affirm that some form of libertarian freedom at least occasionally corresponds to reality. Mm -hmm. The issue is that's not true, or at least not in the way that uh, he's writing it. He needs to clarify a whole lot in order for that to to work. So for instance, I agree with Bignon, and Bignon writes, libertarianism entails incompatibilism, like I said. Therefore, compatibilists cannot ever affirm that anyone has ever had or ever will have libertarian freedom. So that would require incompatibilism. Which means compatibilism would be false. So this is the first kind of blunder, and I'm not the only one to critique him on it, so I don't want to spend too much time on. But there is, I want to be charitable. There are some in the literature, and I do have a footnote, footnote 20 on page from my, my reply, footnote 20 on page 14. There are some that respond uh, and call themselves or have called their view libertarian compatibilism. So, and these are good philosophers like Kadri V. Christian List, even Mealy has somewhat said, hey, they can affirm similar things. But I want to clarify this just because they can affirm similar things that, yeah, libertarianism uh, can affirm something about someone's nature and they can't do other, other than what their nature allows. And just because compatibilism has that same definition doesn't mean that you can just combine the two views and say libertarian compatibilism. Sure. I think uh, Stratton has recently already conceded this much uh, as a video uh, in response to Paul Minotta, uh like literally, like recent, like within the month. Uh, so right. when I watched that video, I was like, "Yay,
0: <laughs> yeah, little pom poms, yay!" yay. <laughs> you're, you're,
1: you're, you're getting, you're getting it. But yeah, so he wants to say that. I can like I affirm some freedoms that are compatible with determinism and some freedoms that are not, but the freedom that's necessary for libertarianism or for rational responsibility is what he calls it, he says is uh not compatible with determinism. And I would say, Great, then by definition, you're an incompatibilist. Hmm. But then he wants to go further, or at least he did, want to go further and say, No, 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 I still can be a compatibilist in some sense and incompatibilist in other senses. And I'm saying it's just not helpful. Like It's just not helpful. Obviously, I'm an atheist with regards to Zeus. Am I going to go around saying I'm a Christian atheist? (laughs) That makes no sense, right? Like you're not going to say that. In the same way, you're not going to go around saying I'm a libertarian compatibilist because it's just it's just not helpful. Now, he may think he's being helpful to the layman. He's actually not. And the reason why he's not is because those definitions I'm explaining to to you and everyone else are standard in the layman Uh, Free will philosophy books, like for instance, like Kane's uh, Robert Kane's uh, Contemporary Introduction to Philosophy or to Free Will Philosophy. Back in like 2005, he had like a small book on it. He says the same thing I'm saying, so it doesn't really make sense for him to use these kind of words, and so that's my first critique in that section.
0: So Um, your critique. So if I can just summarize. So your critique of Stratton is his use or misuse, or irresponsible use, or clumsy, clumsy use of standard definitions, which kind of muddles the whole discussion. Is yeah, the,
1: is yes. yeah, that's precisely it. And I think it's even all the more ironic when he thinks that people like us, uh, I'm going to just say Calvinists or whatever, or compatibilists, uh, muddy the definitions or mud- muddy the waters. No, that's actually ironic because you're the one doing it. And I would stand by that statement. And since he's conceded it recently at the end of his 30 minute video to Paul Minata, uh, I would take that he agrees with me. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he's going to stop doing this libertarian compatibilism and he's just going to say, yep, uh, I'm an incompatibilist. I'm a flaming incompatibilist. Free thinking is what he would call himself and uh, leave it at that. And I would be like, thank you. Amen. We can move on because okay. the definitions are, you know, Important. So,
0: So, okay. So uh, these definitions with respect to how he defines libertarianism, have you heard of the phrase, have you heard of the term soft libertarianism?
1: Yeah. So I expand a little bit about it actually in that same footnote, footnote 20, I believe. I do say that um, that is what it is. Soft soft libertarianism would just affirm what he wants to affirm. So why does he not just use the word soft libertarian? He does in his book, in his chapter 12. He briefly mentioned soft libertarianism, but the issue is just say that. Don't keep bouncing around with these, I'm a libertarian compatibilist or whatever. Uh, yeah. Just say you're soft libertarian. Everyone knows what you mean. Call it good. Even yeah, good. I
0: first heard of soft libertarianism from Kirk McGregor when I was a Molinist. And mm-hmm. I was part of the Molinist Facebook group where I used to interact with Dr. McGregor and um, Jonathan Thompson and Tim. Yeah. That's where I heard soft libertarianism for the first time. And it sounded very similar to compatibilism. If To the untrained ear, it sounds very uh, similar. Can you briefly kind of uh, tell us the difference between compatibilism and soft libertarianism? Yeah, so
1: Stratton does a little bit, um, but I think he fubs. Is, is that a word, fub up? Uh,
0: hey, it's okay. in the internet. We can make up whatever we want. Uh,
1: he, uh, he, <laughs> Humbles, I guess, uh, the definition of compatibilism, but we'll get to that later. But really, the distinguishing factor between soft libertarianism and compatibilism is that uh, soft libertarianism is still, by definition, incompatibilist. So the types of abilities that ground or are necessary for responsibility are just different. So the ability for soft libertarianism that's necessary for rational responsibility or moral responsibility is going to be the categorical. So they still want to say that you categorically could do this or that A, B, C, D, or not A, not B, not C, whatever. Um, Mm. That is the categorical. No matter what kind of view of libertarian you have, no matter how minimalist it is, no matter how mere it is, that must be a condition. And so I actually take great pains in this libertarian section, the first section here, to, to make that. Uh, prevalent. I try to argue the with regards to libertarianism and indeterminism that if indeterminism is something that's entailed by libertarianism, indeterminism means more than one future. So what does that mean? It means alternative possibilities. Well, what does that mean? It means you have access to alternative possibilities. What mm-hmm. does that mean? Yeah, access is the categorical access to be able to actualize this avenue, that avenue, that avenue, that avenue. Compatibilism concedes none of that. That's the main difference, I would say. Uh, it's just the types of abilities, and then obviously the former soft libertarianism is incompatible, and
0: compatible is compatible. So, all right, that makes sense. Just as a heads up, I hear some people I see some in the comments. Someone says, You should interview Dr. Kirk McGregor. Well, actually, 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 before my channel got viewers, (laughs) but I'm not, I mean, I. I don't know where I am in terms of subscribers now, but when I was much smaller, once upon a time, I actually did interview uh, Kirk McGregor twice and get this, okay? When I was a Molinist, right? Or when I was struggling with the issue between Molinism and Calvinism, I actually moderated a debate slash discussion between Kirk McGregor and Matt Slick of Carm. So if folks are interested, if you just look up Kirk McGregor versus Matt Slick, It is an interesting discussion, to say the least, if I can just, (laughs) it's a very interesting discussion. I think, in my personal opinion, Matt Slick's a friend of mine, I happen to think that Kirk McGregor did an an excellent job in that discussion. Um, However, I obviously ultimately don't agree with him at at the end. But if you want to hear kind of a, a good defense or answering various objections to Molinism, that's a great video. So it's not on my channel here on Revealed Apologetics. It was kind of before I got revealed apologetics started but it's there on the internet so folks could actually check that out if you if you search all right so uh, colton um oh one more thing for folks who are listening uh we got a nice a nice crowd here if you have a question preface your question with question and like we normally do at the back end of the show we'll see if we could address as many as as possible if colton is, is up to it sorry i didn't say that beforehand <laughs> i hope you're okay with it all right is that sorry. okay okay yeah, let's cool, cool. do it All right. So what about determinism? What is determinism? And does is this another category that Tim that you find Tim kind of uh, messes up and confuses? Uh, How do you think Tim approaches his You know, how do you think or how well rather do you think Tim understands determinism? Does he mess up on the definitions there? What's going on there? So
1: there's a not really. I don't I want to say that he doesn't really mess up libertarianism because obviously it's his view. Right. I just don't think he uses standard definitions, and he ought to, especially if he wants to dance in the philosophical arena. And so you ought to use these definitions already in the arena. And if you disagree with those definitions, you ought to give a really good reason why. And I don't find any of Tim's reasons um, why he he defines libertarianism the way he does. um, Good enough reasons. Although, because it's his view, I'll give him it. Um, sure. And I'll show internally why I think his limited libertarian freedom is actually false later. But going back to determinism, um, no and yes. He defines <laughs> he defines it as exhaustive divine determinism, which to me is a complete redundancy. Now I I understand he has tons of tons of different articles and stuff why det- exhaustive or ed exhaustive divine determinism uh, isn't redundant. And I just I kind of politely kind of uh, scoff at those because and the reason is it's because it does it he doesn't uh, understand again the standard definitions. If something is determined, that means that some things can be and like let's just say I'm determined to do this. That doesn't mean all things are determined for sure. It just means that thing is determined.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, then
1: if something is determined, that's non-exhaustively determined. But that doesn't mean that's non-exhaustive determinism. Theism is what grants it to all things. I have yet to see any standard philosophical work from laymen to professionals say that, oh yeah, for sure, there's a thing called non-exhaustive determinism. Now, I understand it's his own definition and he wants to try to argue it, but he's doing a terrible job. And I mean Mm -hmm. that with all love and respect. So what I mean is what he should just say is some things can be determined and some things are not determined great that's all you need to say Mm -hmm. you don't need to say uh that uh non-exhaustive determinism and exhaustive determinism is existing he wants to claim rationality alternative possibilities for rationality because he is a leeway incompatibilist which just means he affirms alternative possibilities with regards to the mental deliberations that's fine so those can't be determined okay but he could concede that everything else could be determined. I don't know how that's possible, and I would expect him to show me exactly how that's possible, but um, it technically is coherent in some sense. But that's all you need to say, that some things can be determined, some things are not determined, and okay. you don't need to use this exhaustive, non-exhaustive determinism. So I actually developed this all the way throughout my reply, but I call it the mere moleness dilemma. Okay. <laughs> very.
0: Um, oh, So real quick, before you get into the Mere Molinist dilemma, because that that's going to be part of the, I mean, the thumbnail says, rest in peace, Mere Molinism. So now you're bringing up, we're getting to kind of the, the meat here. Um, so yeah. so you would take issue with, um, would you Would you agree with Binyong, um, Binyong's criticism of Stratton that the term uh, EDD ed is just an unnecessary redundancy? yeah
1: so i pretty much agree with everything being has to say <laughs> uh, because we we have the same calvinistic background i think he sure. a little bit more towards baptist i'm presbyterian but okay. whatever uh, uh, but basically <laughs> theology in the westminster and everything yeah we're gonna affirm exactly okay. and i would say the same thing here it's a redundancy sure so anything Beyond says about um Tim Stratton's uh definitions and how he goes about uh, determinism I would I would say the same. Hmm. Uh, but if that answers your question.
0: Yeah, no that's fine, that's fine. All right, so let's 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 get into the into the rest in peace mere molinism. Is the dilemma yeah. what, what's the dilemma for the mere molinist?
1: So I I explain this throughout most of my chunks. Uh so I started in this section on determinism which is 2.2 and then I kind of bring it up throughout so in my frankfurt style section and also i um, a little bit in the historical section because obviously he's a mere molinist and this is the dilemma so here's what i write kind of informally but okay. either the agent while being determined unto salvation is a not more rationally responsible so either the agent while being determined unto, unto salvation is either a not rationally responsible or b he is rationally responsible If horn A, that he's not rationally responsible, then Tim's ed definition to me is a useless redundancy and the distinction between exhaustive and non-exhaustive would be proven superfluous. Incompatibilism would obtain and Stratton's project amending mere Molinism with reformed theology would just be confused, quizzical. Okay, I call that the Calvinist horn. Stratton would be proving that mere Molinism if he affirmed that horn that the agent is not rationally responsible when he's determined to salvation. Okay. If he accepts that horn, Stratton would be proving that mere Molinism is not compatible with tulip Calvinist soteriology, contrary to his project. Mm-hmm. Stratton's whole project is try to harmonize because he came from a reformed school. So he's yeah. trying to harmonize mere Molinism with uh, tulip. So he's trying to say, you could be a tulipper like Greg Kokel, Uses as a classic example all the time, and yet still technically be a Molinist. And I say, eh, no, because is Greg Kolkal going to accept the fact that he's not rationally or even morally responsible for salvation? Most Calvinists want to say that they are, but here's the problem, and here's Horn B. If Stratton concedes that they are rationally responsible during their deliberation, uh, while also being determined to salvation then he gives up his free-thinking argument Hmm. because his free-thinking argument has to say that you cannot be determined and deliberating at the same time in other words you cannot be rationally responsible and yet be determined at the same time you cannot that's what the free-thinking argument says sure stratton would give up his argument and therefore leave incompatibilism defenseless here's the issue he's not going to do that his whole uh, ministries is called freethinking ministries. So he's not going to fall on horn B. He's going to fall on horn A. But if he does that, then he just throws his Calvinist friends underneath the bus like Greg Kokel and says, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you are determined. The I in irresistible grace. Yeah, that I determines your salvation. Your deliberation was not free, not rationally responsible. But here's the problem. I don't see any Calvinists worth their salt actually accepting that. Sure. So he wants his whole project to me, mending them together just does not work. Mm. And if that's the case, then what's the purpose of mere and mere Molinism? He wants to say mere Molinism because it mends something, uh, the most modest form of Molinism together with a robust uh, soteriology like Calvinism per se. But if those don't even go, then what's the what's the reason for the caveat on or the clarifier really on mere? Hmm. virtually no reason and if that's the case then his molinism is just like every other molinism sure that's the case then why write a book on molinism when it's not really different than all the other molinism uh flavors that are out there sure right and so this i think this dilemma is pretty good uh, to me and i'm interested in seeing if people want to ask questions about it too but I'm interested in seeing what Stratton has to say about it. Again, I'll kind of repeat it and summarize. There's the Calvinist horn and free thinking horn. If he wants to say that people can be determined in matters uh, above, is what Greg, or not Greg uh, Kirk McGregor wants to say. So people can be determined in matters above, so in salvation, but mm-hmm. not be determined in matters below. So in everyday, like, can I choose red socks or blue socks sure. kind of thing. If Tim Stratton and Kirk McGregor want to say that and give a little wiggle room for their uh, their libertarian freedom I think that you have to say that that person that agent while being irresistibly drawn while deliberating salvation yet it's a determined salvation they are either rationally responsible or they are not mm. if they are not then you just threw your Calvinist friends underneath the bus I don't see any Calvinists accepting that yeah. and if they are, you just gave away your whole free thinking argument. Compatibilism is the best option and compatibilism would be just surrendered.
0: Yeah, but Colton, you were determined to say all
1: of those things. Yeah, I hate that response. Uh, okay, so so it was if uh, determinism is true.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So we, we won't address this now, but maybe you can, because I know there's, there are people who are listening and be like, yeah, but you know, but you're just a determinist. So it doesn't matter. You know, uh, maybe a Leighton Flowers will come and make a 10 hour response video to this or something. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Leighton. Um, when someone says, but you were determined to say everything you're saying as a Calvinist, does that make you shake in your boots or uncomfortable in any way, shape or form? Is that, is that somewhat a response that, Calvinists really need to come to grips with. No.
1: So if he wants, if and I, I think it's, I think it's kind of comical, and I'm saying this with love and respect, but I think it's comical that that is even a response. The reason why I say it's comical is because no professional incompatibilist philosopher ever argues that. Mm-hmm. You would think after the like the millennia, or specifically after the last fifty years since free will literature has been booming. You would think that, hmm, an incompatibilist philosopher would say, yes, but they can't deliberate because even their deliberations are determined. Aha,
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: just the reason why they don't don't do that is because it's question begging. It's sure. assuming incompatibilism from the very beginning, right. which is what Tim Stratton and company need to prove it's mm-hmm. his book. He's an incompatibilist. Prove it to me. And you can't do it without already assuming your incompatibilist presuppositions. Sure. Saying that you can't deliberate what I'm doing right now. I'm deliberating. I'm talking yet not be determined at the same time. In the literature, it's called deliberation incompatibilism. Kant was a famous run, one. Thomas Reed was a famous one. And there are plethora of compatibilists and incompatibilists like Dirk Perigoon, who's a hard borders on hard determinism, hard incompatibilism, okay. uh, who are deliberation compatibilists, who ad nauseum has defended the fact that you can deliberate and be uh uh determined at the same time. Hmm. Stratton touches none of that are none of those arguments. I, I you, don't even honestly I don't even know. Do you
0: think, he, do you he think he's that. aware of those arguments or did you does <laughs> do you think he purposely purposely kind of like I, I don't even want to say that. I mean I I mean I wanna it is confusing um, that because he should be aware of these arguments and all these other positions. It's odd that there's no direct interaction uh, in any meaningful way,
1: yes or no. So, first off, I don't necessarily, I'm not surprised, kind of, I am surprised, but I'm not necessarily surprised that there's no interaction there. And here's why: mm. okay. in the preface of his uh, study guide to mere Molinism, he says that he wrote the book Mere Molinism for the laymen, for the church people. Okay, and if that's the case, he's not going to use a lot of objections he's not going to go into deep literature on the philosophy about it and that makes sense but then again uh it doesn't make sense because his pupil his his uh almost like predecessor william lane craig who he studied under uh had a book called the only wise god who was made for laymen and church people and that book had many objections at four total chapters if i recall. On objections, detailed philosophy, defending his view against objections. So either Stratton knew about it, but purposely didn't put them in his book because maybe a dissertation uh, requirements that he needed to meet, which makes sense. Or he he, he just didn't know about them. Mm -hmm. Um, But. If I go back to the first one, if he didn't know about them but didn't put them in his book, when he published the book after he did the dissertation and got his Ph.D., why didn't he just gut out some unnecessary parts like the historical section, put the objections in? Yeah. Like, it would have done nothing. Like, his mere Molinist twin pillar, libertarian freedom and middle knowledge is what mere Molinism really says. Those twin pillars, those two things, could have easily just been defended. Actually, I would say arguably defended better because Mm -hmm. then you would see, Oh, here are objections. Here's my defense against these objections. Instead of going on a hundred and some 40 pages, I think on historical tangents that virtually do nothing to his overall project Mm -hmm. and which he's actually conceding uh, John Calvin recently. We it's got John
0: Calvin back when I, <laughs> I
1: was like, this makes
0: no sense. This is like, so, Calvin from us. He, he made that video. I'm like, we got Calvin back. All right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I, I think he does know about them. And I know I've talked to him personally uh, about them before in personal correspondence. So my hope is in the second edition, he actually discusses Jerk Perryboom, Caruso, Nelkins, Artario. These are all people who've argued for deliberation compatibilism. Sure. Who say you can deliberate and still be compa- and, and that still is compatible with being determined
0: completely,
1: okay. exhaustively? Okay. So, here's the hoping. Uh, I hope he actually touches some of that literature.
0: Okay. But, so, if to sort of briefly summarize, the mere Molinist dilemma is, in a very casual summary, what's the dilemma, so people can kind of have this crystallized image of what you're getting at here.
1: The dilemma is just two horns. I call it the Calvinistic horn and the free thinking horn. He either throws his Calvinist friends underneath the bus by saying Calvinists when they're being determined to salvation through the eye and tulip irresistible grace. If he says that they're not rationally responsible because they can't deliberate about salvation and still be determined to salvation at the same time, he throws them underneath the bus, thus breaking his project of mere Molinism being compatible with
0: okay.
1: uh uh, reformed theology. Okay. The second horn is the free thinking horn. He says, yeah, they are rationally responsible. Actually, uh, you can be determined under salvation, deliberate, and still be, uh, not all compatible with your freedom and rational responsibility. Well, then you just gave up your free thinking argument. Thanks for the win. I'll take compatibilism and be on my day.
0: <laughs> so. All right. Well, I have here on our outline compatibilism. And it says here, point one, does compatibilism entail determinism? Uh, why don't you unpack that for us? That's kind of the next point here. Anyway. So this
1: is actually a big one. So I kind of want to camp out here a bit. Um, in his book, he said in his philosophical section that for his purposes here in his book, I think it's page 161, I believe, uh, that I could be wrong. But he says that I will make compatibilism entail determinism. And I'm just like what? <laughs> uh, I, and I'm just, I'm shocked that he would actually say something like that. And the reason why I'm shocked is because by definition, compatibilism doesn't entail determinism. Even incompatibilists like Jerry Walls knows this very well. Um, other incompatibilists like Kevin Tempe knows this very, very well. He says it in the introductory first few pages of his book, uh, Free Will, Kevin Tempe says that. So it's it's a pretty important one to say that, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen and compatibilism entails determinism when virtually no uh, professional philosopher agrees with you that that's kind of concerning. Um, To me, that's very, very concerning. Now let's make some distinctions. First of all, um, um, actually, let me, let me go back. Um, For instance, some professional philosophers that will just outright deny the claim is a compatibilist Michael McKenna and Dirk Pereboom. So I, they say this in their Free Will Introduction book on page 30, and I have this quoted in the footnotes on page 81. So they say, the definition of compatibilism, quoting, the definition of compatibilism does not commit to the truth of determinism. Wow. Would you look at that? Uh, they go on and say it tells us that if determinism were true, its truth would not entail that no person ever acts freely. Uh, Another compatibilist philosopher, uh, Carolina Sartario, says this, Compatibilism doesn't say that determinism is true, but only that it wouldn't undermine our free will if it were true. She continues and says, thus, according to compatibilism, even if we may uh, not know whether or not determinism holds, we needn't worry about it being true because it's not a threat to our free will. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, and I think so
0: Calvinists can be, can a Calvinist be a compatibilist, but, but be completely silent as to how they're compatible. So, yeah. so, that, so that saying that you're compatibilist doesn't commit you to a metaphysical picture of like causal determinism or, which is often voiced. Cause I remember I had, a, I had a conversation with Tim Stratton a while back and he said that if I, if I were a Calvinist, I would be a Mysterian Calvinist. I would say that yeah, these things are compatible, but I have no idea how they work out. Yeah. Now, what's wrong? What's wrong with that?
1: <laughs> so I actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I do explain that in the determinism section. I contrast okay. different types of models of determinism, so Mysterian Calvinism and mm-hmm. Industrious Calvinism. That comes from the I believe it. It's coined by Greg Welty. Um, but he coins those words and he kind of in most of his works he sides with mysterian calvinism though he does believe there is a robust model like guidance control and i'm an industrious calvinist meaning there's no mysterious thing about it we know how it works it's called guidance control Mm -hmm. uh and so people have uh you've interviewed michael patrick persiato he has integrated guidance control with robust, reform theology. I love
0: I love Michael. Michael is literally a Mexican version of Guillaume with better English. <laughs> if Guillaume says something and I'm just kind of like, what did you say? I'll just ask Michael and he'll explain it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think uh, uh, Preciado, uh, Michael is great. Um, he's a fantastic individual. His book is awesome. Yeah. So you, you should I look agree. him up. A Reformed View of Freedom is what that book is called. But anyways, yeah, he argues for an industrious model. So going back to your question, should a Calvinist uh, have an industrious model or not? Um, There's different kinds of terminology here. So another Calvinist have suggested the terminology simple compatibilism, which is basically simple compatibilism is just like what I just said, the thesis of compatibilism, not affirming determinism, and then substantive uh, compatibilism, which is the thesis of compatibilism plus the thesis of determinism. And he argues for that a Calvinist should be a soft determinist or that substantive compatibilist. So we should say compatibilism plus uh, determinism. Okay. Okay. I agree. Does that mean by definition, compatibilism entails determinism? No, <laughs> uh, it does not. At best, what it means is by application, Compatibilism entails determinism, not by definition. Mm-hmm. And, and when Stratton in his book says, Oh, I just by definition, it's going to mean this, and I'm like, What? Now, Bignon is so cute and he actually concedes the entailment. <laughs> uh, and so I interact with Bignon's con- uh, uh, concession to Stratton in his own review. So Bignon in his own review says, You know, I'm okay with that. I, I can see that compatibilism could entail determinism. And then he's like, Well, we should see an argument no matter what. I, I agree, however, I think Bignon should gave too much ground up. <laughs> uh, and the reason why I think he did is because, again, we need to make the distinction between application and definition. I don't think by definition, compatibilism could ever entail determinism. It just doesn't make sense. Or, or when incompatibilists often say, well, compatibilism is just uh, determinism uh, with uh, a cherry on top or with frosting, and actually, Stratton himself has had many articles like that in his uh, Freethinking Ministries page. Yeah. And I think that's just ridiculous. No, it's not. Substantive compatibilist could be. But when, what they're getting at when an incompatibilist says that is something like, Compatibilism by definition entails hard determinism. That's what they're thinking in their mind. Sure. The problem with that is hard determinism entails incompatibilism. So right. you're literally saying, Compatibilism entails hard determinism, which entails incompatibilism, which by definition, hypothetical syllogism, you have <laughs> compatibilism entails incompatibilism. It makes no sense. That's so, tight. like that, that cheeky argument from layman incompatibilists just don't work. That's why you don't see it in the professional field. Gotcha. So, should the Calvinist be a determinist? I think so, based on the Westminster. But does that mean that their determinism is entailed by compatibilism? No. I think the compatibilism just comes along for the ride and the determinism comes along for the ride. I think they're two independent theses and that they kind of are wed together in the the Calvinist tradition and reformed Orthodox theology and, and they're, they can be separated. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't make these unnecessary entailments.
0: Sure. Sure. Now um, I just want to put this up on the screen here. So Phil bear um, says Eli and Colton you should read Proverbs 18, 17 and explain why you wouldn't have Tim on the show with you right now. So I'm going to read Proverbs uh, 18, 17. Um, And it says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Yes. And amen. What you're doing here and what you wrote in your 300 page book is literally the example of Tim making a statement first through his book and you responding. Uh, So that's the first point. Number two, um, Um, Colton can be my witness here in public. Did I not invite Tim Stratton to be on here right now with us today? Mm -hmm. Yes, I did. That's right. When I had Guillaume Bignon on, I actually invited Tim to come on. As a matter of fact, Tim was present in the comments during the live stream in which he was interacting with Guillaume from the comments. And he actually private messaged me an argument that he wanted me to present. I wanted to make sure Tim was being properly represented. So it was Tim's choice not to come on every time I've invited him. I actually invited him multiple times. Now, granted, the reasons for him not wanting to come on were his own reasons. He's, he's doing a lot of you know editing and things he's working on. I get that. I'm the same thing with me. It's, you get busy. I get it. But I have never, critiqued Tim without inviting him to come on for some kind of moderated discussion or debate with with another guest. So. So, yes, I, we both would hold to Proverbs eighteen seventeen, 17, um, and we are not guilty of not adhering to that. So he has been invited. Um, hopefully in the future, um, he can come on and have a moderated discussion. Um, and the reason why I don't have it, people have asked me, why don't I have it with him? This is not my area of expertise. This is my area of interest. I love talking about this topic and I've I've learned a lot from Guillaume, uh, from Colton, from Tyler Vela and others, uh, Paul Monata. Um, but it's not an issue that I would feel that I would be a legitimate you know, interlocutor and question and point. I like to listen and ask the questions and navigate kind of the flow of the conversation. So that's why I don't do it. But I've invited him multiple times and he's still welcome to come back on if he wanted to interact with someone and Kind of take these things head on so just wanted to throw that out there
1: I, I also want to throw out that i've personally emailed him and messaged him before uh back a year ago to try to actually just have a video discussion not even recorded just to call him and ask yeah. him about some of this stuff
0: yeah
1: he's never responded honestly um and i have the emails and the private messages to back it up so
0: right now tim has always been willing to to talk to me about it on the phone he's been you know he
1: likes you too much he likes you more than me
0: (laughs) well well, i mean you know he's like hey anytime you want to talk so i've never had that experience with him but but again for my own purposes because i like to see this the views side by side and interact it's kind of helpful for me to learn um i've always invited him to come on and interact with someone because that helps me and i think it helps other people kind of pinpoint the specific areas of either strength or weakness. So, um, so yeah. So, and again, I get it. Like maybe Tim doesn't feel called to pursue debate and these sorts of, and that's fine. That's fine too, but it's not as though he hasn't been invited. And if he's unable to come on, that doesn't mean we don't get to talk about these issues nonetheless, because he has published material. So that's free game, especially when Tim, and I mean this respectfully, and you know, this Colton, Tim has often attacked, calvinism in general so um and i don't mean that in a pejorative sense i mean i've attacked molinism (laughs) you know you know i get it but this is fair game in terms of taking the initiative and saying hey you know someone wrote this and let's talk about it let's critique it so there's no um you know uh, underhanded unfair things going on here um anyone's welcome to come on and discuss these issues if they want to And um, respectfully, I do think that that Tim has been very generous with his time with me over the phone. And so I do appreciate that. And I do respect the fact that um, he's working on another edition. He's busy. I get that. That's completely fine. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there. So at any rate. Okay. So we are coming up to an hour. And I imagine we can't get through this whole outline. Um, So I want to ask two things. And then we'll kind of come to uh, to the questions, if that's okay. And if anyone wants, they can read the the full, um, I guess, book. I mean, would you call it a book? I mean, it's it looks like an article, I guess, but it's literally a book. Well, how would you refer to your work there? Um, I don't
1: know. I've kind of went back and forth. I don't like calling it a book either because I think books, like a philosophy book, has to do with like a thesis. And then you're interacting sure. with uh, – you're arguing for something and interacting with people that could have potential objections to your work and to your thesis Mm -hmm. and you're trying to defend Mm -hmm. it in light of that. I don't do any of that. Right. I'm just responding to a brother, uh, really. And so I don't, I, that's why I called it a reply. (laughs) I don't even like calling it a review because it's not even a, it's not even a review of his book. It's mainly a reply to just mere Molinism. And since Tim is the chief advocate of mere Molinism today, it's really just a reply to his overall philosophy and theology in general.
0: Yeah. So. Okay. Uh just one thing about molinism in general and I I agree with uh with Guillaume out of out of all the false views it's my favorite. <laughs> So I do I there's something about Molinism that always brings me back to like hey man it's really fascinating I wonder how they answer this and so it's definitely a, a view that's worth at least for me it's worth my time to interact with I do find it fascinating and I'm interested in defenses of it um but uh, but again at the end of the day I'm a convinced calvinist and saying I'm determined to be that way doesn't uh, phase me one bit (laughs) it shouldn't phase other Calvinists either so so here are my last two points here so and, and I do apologize we can't get through the whole outline um but um maybe I'll have you on again for another another episode or something like that that'd be cool um okay so in terms of um turning the table in terms of not critiquing Molinism Actually, no, I'm going to save that for the second part. Let's deal with Molinism here. So mere Molinism, if you can summarize, I could just let you blab right now. I'm just like, I'm going to ask this and just let you run. Do you think that Molinism is flat out false or improbable? The argument isn't strong enough. Do you have like a, like a defeater for Molinism? How would you right now, someone says, hey, refute mere Molinism or Molinism in general, how would you unpack that? from a more, I know you don't have like an outline or notes, whatever, but how would you begin to engage in a refutation? Some people take the approach of bringing up the grounding objective, uh, objection. Other people bring the approach of saying, Hey, if libertarian free will is one of the pillars of Molinism, let's attack libertarianism. What, what should be the tactic of the Calvinist who's interacting with the Molinist and wants to kind of engage and, um, you know, and show why one shouldn't hold it.
1: I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, I'm not a fan of the grounding objection. I think it's kind of old news. And so, okay. um, and neither the, the, even the people in the debate, like Flint and Hasker, they're just like, um, we're, we're, they're not getting anywhere in the debate. Uh, if you read their replies, they're just out of stale me. So I don't. I think that's kind of a dead end, but there is some work still being produced on it. But to me personally, I would attack libertarian freedom. That's the first thing. So I just don't find that the categorical ability necessary for respo- rational responsibility um, is just necessary. Like It's a very strong position to say that you need the liberty of contradiction or the ability to have true beliefs over false beliefs uh, in order to be rationally responsible, which is what Tim Stratton wants to say. It's a very strong claim and in, in which, at least in mere monism, I see virtually no support. Of, at all no independent support at least not support that doesn't entail question begging so I think that's the first thing the second thing is I would actually take something like Hasker's bring about argument or um, uh, Welty's gunslinger I understand Stratton has dealt with uh, well dealt with uh, Welty's gunslinger uh, analogy before but I don't think he understands necessarily I'm, I'm saying that respectfully but I don't think he understands Welty's gunslinger analogy. He doesn't get the fact of what he's trying to say. So basically that argument is like similar to the bring about where it's, there's virtually almost no difference between Calvinist uh, deterministic providence and uh, Molinist deterministic providence. Mm -hmm. All said and done. um, There's, there's virtually no difference between the providences. You still have a God who ought, who ought to be labeled as some uh, collect has ought to have some sort of collective responsibility attached to it. Let's just say that. I don't want to get too much into it, but let's yes. just say that. And of course the Calvinist denies it, but the, um, uh, the Molinist usually likes to pin it on the Calvinist saying, no, no author of evil see easy, easy determinism." And, uh, I would just say ah, the Molinist is in the same boat. So pick a different mm-hmm. argument. Yeah. So I think those arguments are good.
0: So when you say that you don't think that the categorical ability to do otherwise is necessary for, what'd you say? Rational responsibility?
1: Yeah, because that's what Stratton likes to say, rational. You could
0: also say moral responsibility as well. He says,
1: rational. so yeah, so he says moral responsibility entails rational responsibility, which to me makes no difference. Like, okay. So I can concede that doesn't matter what's necessary for rational responsibility. has gotta be necessary for moral responsibility. So if you think that alternative possibilities in the deliberation process is entailed by rational responsibility, if moral entails rational, well, then you have a hypothetical syllogism, moral entails the same alternatives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what I argue in uh, my reply here, but he's still going to say rational. So I just use the term rational.
0: Okay. So when you say, uh, okay, so if we could define our terms briefly here, so we we can talk about two senses of ability, right? So when people appeal to the idea of the ability to do otherwise, uh, there's a distinction between what we call conditional ability to do otherwise and categorical ability to do otherwise. So categorical ability to do otherwise is what Tim would hold is what libertarians would hold is what incompatibilists would hold. Um, So they believe that, determinism, and moral responsibility or rational responsibility is incompatible. You need the ability to do otherwise in a categorical sense, all things being equal, you can choose other than what you in fact choose. Have I got it?
1: Yeah, the issue is Stratton's gonna try to push back. So I try mm-hmm. to, and I really, really hope that those who are listening actually does take the time because we're just doing a brief summary on all my claims, really, not even all of them, but okay. um, on a lot of the arguments. I argue, and Jonathan Thompson, who I believe is in the chat, mm-hmm. um, he would say, it. he would agree with me. I argue a nauseam, all these different kinds of objections that Tim could respond to. And he's going to respond like, well, we don't need the alternative possibility uh, condition all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Or something like sources, uh, all that's necessary or something like that. I, In my libertarian section, I, I... To me, I'm going to be humble, but I am confident that I defeat that square square in the face. Mm-hmm. No, you need the alternative possibility. If you're a libertarian, the necessary condition is indeterminism. Indeterminism, by definition, entails alternative possibilities, mm-hmm. which means, by definition, you need some sort of alternative possibilities, whether they're weak or strong, somewhere in your causal history. All incompatibilists say this. Even Kevin Tempe, who's a source incompatibilist, would argue that some sort of alternative possibilities are necessary in the causal history of the agent so it's just the case whether they're weak or strong now that's the first thing i think uh you can't just have sourcehood second thing is um does argue that leeway is necessary in his own prize limited libertarian freedom uh definition so to me you need alternatives to be able to uh believe truth over falsehood so you need to have an alternative to take the truth route or the falsehood route when you're deliberating well that's alternatives right so you need the alternative possibility now stratton will also push back and say well the categorical i don't use the word categorical that much that's he's he's actually in personal correspondence he's literally said that line to me Mm -hmm. i stopped using the word categorical here's the problem in your book Podcasts, articles, everywhere, besides your rejoinder and new work, you've used the word categorical everywhere. Like everywhere. In the book, in the first four pages, he starts dropping the categorical. Okay, so the issue is he wants to now use in the rejoinder to Bignon this idea of broad and narrow abilities, which is basically a dispositional analysis. So it's not a conditional, it's not a categorical analysis, it's a conditional analysis. Here's the problem. Libertarians cannot use the dispositional analysis as necessary, well, as sufficient conditions for responsibility. They can can concede the necessity of a disposition, like a disposition is like if I drop uh, a sugar cube in water, it's going to dissolve. So it has a disposition to dissolve in water if it were to be dropped into water. That's kind of like. The basics of disposition sure. but he argues the broad and narrow ability in his rejoinder to Bignon completely negates the fact that the categorical is there and i'm just sitting here like what like why uh why because the libertarianism is a strong view it must have uh the categorical and so he doesn't really explain too much in the rejoinder to Bignon. but as far as i can tell that's the only ability he thinks is sufficient and necessary for rational responsibility and that's just plain false because well, guess what the compatibles can say the same thing so then what distinguishes his view between the compatibles view he needs something that distinguishes his view in the terms of ability between the between the compatibles and the libertarian uh, incompatibles and compatibles and that is the categorical analysis so no matter what no matter how he defines it he cannot get away from the categorical analysis he must hold to something categorical in the deliberative process.
0: Hmm. All right. Excellent. There's a lot to chew on. And I, I hopefully a lot of the name drops that you've given throughout the uh, this interview here, this discussion, people could check those out and check out the work that's related to that. So um, you're doing a great job, man. Appreciate it. Um, folks, we're going to, we're going to transition to the Q and a session. Uh, just want to give a shout out to MJ Jackson. Thank you so much for your $5 super chat um we'll ask your question first do appreciate it and uh we have a pretty decent audience here we only got four likes what's up with that man if you like this discussion but click those like buttons that's super super helpful lets me know if you guys are jiving with the discussion so um i'd appreciate that uh but mj with his uh, first question here do you interact with roman 7 regarding compatibilism does that ever enter into your uh things have you written down or maybe just in your own personal studies I've
1: thought about it. I haven't necessarily written anything on it, because, I mean, Stratton has never really written anything on it. So, so far, I mean, I've thought about it. And um, I haven't really seen a clean, detailed response from an incompatibilist using that as an argument against compatibilism. So I just kind of assume, and I'm okay with saying that I kind of assume that guidance control or other theories of compatibilism, at least most could probably accommodate seven, Maybe not the conditional ability, but I agree with Beyond the conditional ability is not sufficient for responsibility anyways. It's just necessary. Sure. So even then it wouldn't matter.
0: Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, Phil Baer says, uh, what's the difference between a defense and an argument in your eyes? So you did make a distinction between defending and actually providing a, an argument.
1: Yeah, defense is negative argumentation. So it's arguing against a view um, when someone else has the burden of proof. So to me, I think of like a court case. So the prosecution has the burden of proof. The defense does not. Right. So the defense can technically just assume that his, his client is innocent all the way through. Even if he knows his client is guilty, he can assume that the client is innocent all the way through. And he doesn't have the burden of proof and then just argue um, some made-up story. I mean, that happens in court cases all the time. So you don't necessarily need to have, like, believe what you're saying in order to defend against it. You can just defend. Now, obviously, I, de- I believe in capitalism and I defend capitalism. But the, the long, uh, story, long story short is uh, it, a defense is negative argumentation, whereas an argument is what we would call positive argumentation. So Stratton has uh, laid out arguments for his view, saying, I positively am arguing for this, uh, not negatively arguing against something else. And so if he's positively arguing for incompatibilism, then that is a positive argumentation. And he would be arguing at the same time against compatibilism. Mm -hmm. An example for defense and not an argument is something like... um, Uh, Bignon's uh, response to the consequence argument so he responds using the conditional and categorical and so he just uh, he doesn't have the burden so he doesn't he can question beg, and say that um, and I know it sounds weird because he doesn't have the burden like can you really uh, talk in circles and the idea is kind of yes he can assume the conditional ability when he's responding to the consequence argument why it's not his burden Sure. But let's just say the tables are turned and he has to now argue for compatibilism. Is he going to argue for the conditional? No, and he doesn't do that in his book. He argues it differently because he knows now he can't question big the conditional. He has to have independent reasons for it. He realizes he doesn't have independent reasons for the conditional. So he doesn't argue for the conditional. He argues like the plagian argument or Edwardsian argument or something mm-hmm. like that. And so these are just like mild differences in volume two. Which will come out hopefully uh later this year, uh, with my reply to Stratton. I have a whole section on Stratton and Bignon, like literally mm. okay. <laughs> their controversies throughout the year. And okay. I detail this that Stratton un- misunderstands that he misunderstands a defense and an argument, and that muddies the waters with his conversations with
0: Bignon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, thank you for that. I'm not sure if you'll understand this question because I don't know the context here. But Danny asks, uh, did he, I suppose, you give motivations for why he's trying to make sense or preserve or preserve of two senses of freedom? I don't know. Yeah, if you I understand. Understand. yeah, I okay. understand.
1: He's saying, did did Stratton give uh, motivations for why he's making the distinction between non-exhaustive and exhaustive, mm-hmm. or you can be compatible in some ways and not others? And the idea is, yes, he has, but it doesn't matter. So let's just say, let's just take compatibilism. He wants to say that compatibilism could obtain at some time and incompatibilism could obtain at some other time. So non-exhaustive incompatibilism or compatibilism. So he's saying in some freedoms are compatible with determinism and some freedoms are not. Which ones are not? Rational deliberation. So he's going to die on that hill because that's the hill his free thinking arguments on he's free thinking arguments on and he's going to say that is absolutely incompatible with determinism i'm going to die on that but some other freedoms like lesser freedoms uh, are compatible like he says ordering tacos or ordering at a restaurant or something and the idea is yes that's true robert kane has also conceded this compatibilists have conceded this too here's the problem we don't care uh what is the what is the responsibility that we care about So deserving praise or blame in either your rational deliberations or your moral actions. What kind of responsibility does Stratton say is incompatible with that? Hmm. All kinds. So when he says, he tries to give wiggle room saying, oh, well, I'm a compatibilist too. And so this, I just look at that and I'm like, why do, why do I care? No compatibilist cares about that. And I'm saying this kind of bluntly, but I'm being truthful. And I've told him this in personal correspondence because it's just, no one cares about that. No compatibilist is going to say, Oh yeah, you're right. Uh, that that's true. Uh, you, you can be compatible while ordering tacos, but not compatible while rationally deliberating whether or not to order tacos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just trivial. Yes, it's true, but it's trivial and compatibilists don't care about that kind of responsibility. So why bring it up in the first place, especially if you're trying to not money the waters, And bridge the gap between Calvinists and Molinists and incompatibilists and compatibilists, you're not doing a good job if you're going to do it that way. We Mm -hmm. care about rational responsibility in the dessert sense, just like he does. We say it's compatible with determinism. He says it's not. Leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Argue that instead of bringing up all these unnecessary stuff, it's meaningless.
0: All right, thank you for that. Irresistible truth says we love Eli's laugh. Thank you so much. <laughs> I laugh really loud, so sorry I'm not blowing anyone's really ears <laughs> out. Uh, so, free thinker, the free thinker Tyler asks a question: How would you respond to Stratton's claim that God predestines everything, even sin, but this isn't deterministic? I'm going to read that again because that's a good—that's a good question. Um, how would you respond to Stratton's claim? that God predestines everything, even sin, but this isn't deterministic.
1: Um, I think I've talked to Tyler about this before, but I have a footnote in the the early in the determinism section, and I actually, maybe I'm awful, but I actually concede Stratton's claim here um, because I just have bigger fish to fry, I guess. So I just concede and say, for the benefit of the doubt, let's just give him that. Let's just say, yes, predestination. Um, you can have predestination without having something being determined. It just depends on whether or not you think both are necessary for providence. And obviously, he doesn't think determinism is necessary for providence. And he thinks predestination is. Um, the open theist would disagree in some sense, right? But its I actually give him that. Um, the idea, though, is, or what well, I'm kind of thinking in the back of my, my mind, is the same thing that Bella is thinking that it just really doesn't make sense. If you predestine something, you are the sufficient condition for that happening. Now, you could say there's other sufficient conditions like libertarian free creatures, but then I would expect a model, a a better model, to see how he can determine, or sorry, how he can predestine libertarian free creatures in such a way as to not violate their freedom but yet get them to do what they do, especially when something like the cross or the crucifixion or prophecy is involved. That's a little bit more tricky. Stratton does none of that. So, I mean, take it or leave it. I concede the claim in my book because I want to deal with other stuff, but um, I would agree with Bella here. There's virtually no distinction.
0: All right, Tyler has another question here. I'm just going down in order. What is lost from the force of Molinism by Stratton's mere Molinism that eschews the metaphysical commitment Molinism makes in the literature? What is lost from the force of Molinism by Stratton's mere Molinism that ex- that excuse the metaphysical commitments Molinism makes in the literature? That's a lot of Molinism. Yeah, West. if I'm
1: understanding <laughs> him correctly, I think I may have already answered it. Okay. I don't know. I, I would, say If I'm understanding the question correctly, I would say the categorical. Stratton okay. wants to get rid of the categorical and, and say instead a dispositional ability and opportunity or whatever doesn't work for him, not in his kind of argument for the free thinking argument. So he loses the force of his mere Molinism and hence my dilemma, the Calvinist horn or the free thinking horn. Um, So uh, when he he does that, I think that's how the question, I think I'm understanding the question correctly.
0: All right. Just a real quick shout out to Jonathan Thomas. He says, hey, Colton and Hi, Eli. Hello, Jonathan. <laughs> I hope you're doing well. Jonathan's a good guy here. Uh, we're moving along. How are you doing? Gary, you have room for, you have time for a couple more questions. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, now you gotta find them. People do not preface. No, well, everyone hasn't prefaced their question with question. Apologize if I skip over anything here. Uh, da, 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 da. yeah, well, there's not a question, but a statement. Tim says he's a Calvinist. Does Tim say that? Or unless she's, unless slamming, slamming. Yeah, uh, he says he's reformed. Reformed, he okay.
1: says he's Calvinist. And so to me, uh, that doesn't make any sense either. Now, granted, um, an Arminian, I guess, could be a reformed. It just depends on definitions. Hence, my whole volume is about definitions. So he does say he's reformed, but he doesn't say he's Calvinist. He is a Molinist. Hardcore.
0: <laughs> so... Okay. All right. Uh, Phil Bear is making a point here that we're being uncharitable uh, by doing this. I wonder if we can kind of interact with that biblical principle that was mentioned before. Uh, It says, um, you're missing the point. He's kind of in conversation with someone else. It's how people present the material that matters. They don't give Tim the benefit of the doubt and that's uncharitable is, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the benefit of the doubt. I mean, we've both had personal interactions with Tim and we yeah. listen to him. I've listened to his multiple um, videos um, defending his view. I mean, I don't I don't see how we're not giving him the benefit of that. He's been invited to come on. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Right. what. To say to to that. Me, this
1: is just um, maybe a rhetorical ploy, but it, it there's no foundation to it. I okay. have a uh, Jonathan Thompson who is in the chat. I've talked to him personally. He used to write for Tim in Free Thinking Ministries, mm-hmm. and he has many screenshots of uh, many conversations I've had with Tim where I am trying to be as charitable as possible, almost too charitable uh, to the point where it makes uh, Jonathan uh, kind of sick because I should push back a little bit more. Sure. Um, I've given Tim so much benefit of the doubt, so much so. That the reason why it's 300 pages is because I give him so much benefit of the doubt. He could respond this way. If he does respond this way, what's my response? 10 more pages. He could mm-hmm. respond this way. If he doesn't respond this way, he could respond this way. So what's my response? 10 right. more pages. I go throughout and I steal, man, this Tim Strand's work as best as I possibly can. That's, to me, the most charitable I can be in a conversation like this.
0: And there's, so, nothing, there's nothing wrong, too. There, there's nothing, like, um, nefarious about what we're doing here. I mean, even Tim, I think Tim would agree. When you have published work, like, that's fair game to interact with. Like, that's what it's there for, so you can interact with it. So I don't think there's any uncharitability going on. Um. Yeah, and I would
1: uh, expect nothing less from uh, this uh, man right here or um, Tim himself uh, yeah. to, to basically get on. Uh, a channel with Tim Fox, his, his brother, and just say, uh, yeah, let's let's critique Eli and Colton's Yeah, video. And I'd be like, great, let me watch it. Let me take detailed notes and let's right, respond to it. Way. Like I would res- uh, expect nothing less. The only thing I should say is read my 300 page reply, or at the very least, look through the table of contents and see how much I really do give him the benefit of doubt. Mm. I concede a lot to that man uh a lot to that man throughout the 300 pages and charitable. then i try to show through my concessions through my steel manning not straw manning through my arduous quoting him
0: mm-hmm. almost
1: annoying quoting him i try to show why he's wrong that is charitable that's giving mm-hmm.
0: him the benefit of the doubt and that's what we're supposed to be doing like obviously you're critiquing a view yet. like yeah that's you're you don't you know unless you're not unless you're reading uncritically right so all right Thank you for that. Um, Still appreciate, Phil Baer, your comment there. Thank you for reminding us the importance of that principle found in Proverbs. I think that is important. Um, Irresistible Truth uh, says, a joke is that Molinism is determinism light. Doesn't Molinism entail determinism at the end of the day? God chooses the options, knowing people will go to heaven or hell, etc.
1: So I want to be... I wanna be careful here because I wanna say yes or no. Um, there's other Molinists. I think compatibilists, um are often accused of being Pharaoh's magicians. That's what Jerry Wallace have called compatibilists because we have tricks up our sleeve and we can kind of maneuver around objections. I think Molnas can do the same, which is why I love Molnas. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, they can be very uh sly. and squirrely,
0: right? There's some squirtly. little caveats. That, and some of them are brilliant, I think. <laughs> like, Yeah, like, it's a great response.
1: So I want to say yes. I, I want to just say the bring about argument is where I'd probably, if pushed, if pushed, I would put my stakes on the bring about argument from Hasker or Welty's a gunslinger. And that's as much as I can say, or as close as I can say that Molinism becomes determinism. But I would never say Molinism actually is determinism. Um, I would just say it is analogous, or to me that there's uh, no relevant similarity, or at best, even better, there is one relevant similarity between that. That's, I think, a better argument than just saying it entails it. Um, because I think the entailment can get tricky because then you're like necessary entailments and that's hard, uh, uh, logistically, but I could bring it about with a, uh, analogy. And I think that's what wealthy tries to do in others.
0: So, mm. okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Ryan Brown asked the question, what would Colton's, uh, response be on the opportunity to do otherwise that some incompatibilist would argue?
1: Yeah. So Franklin is probably the number one incompatibilist he's thinking about here, Chris Franklin. And I would say it's a good argument. I think it's better than the consequence argument. So Franklin's no opportunity argument is better. However, uh, just like every libertarian, they can't dance around the categorical. You have to assume the categorical. How do I know that? Franklin, who is a dispositional kind of incompatibilist, and who wants to affirm something like the opportunity to, to do otherwise he himself responds to the luck objection by using the categorical so in order to defend his libertarianism he has to defend it using the categorical so to me it, it's when he defend when he argues for libertarianism using the dispositional analysis it's, it's just kind of odd. Like, I just don't understand why he's using that. Um, I get it. He wants to make minimal room for libertarianism and have a new age argument or whatever. And I respect him for it. But it's still, he needs the categorical somewhere. And then it just falls back into the consequence argument. Mm. So I kind of, I already, I kind of explained that uh, in my section on broad ability and dispositional analysis underneath responsibility, ability, and um, Trinker style examples in that section 2.4. But um, I also want to say that compatibilists have argued that the dispositional ability is possible underneath compatibilism. So let's just say an incompatibilist says, oh, the dispositional ability is possible underneath incompatibilism. Great. So can the compatibilists? They can say the same thing. What's the difference? Yeah. If there's no difference, then, like, that's why I think you have to boil back down to the categorical for the incompatibilist, which makes the difference. And then we can see, ah, here's the difference. And then give me an independent reason for why the categorical is necessary for rational responsibility. I don't have it. So yeah.
0: Sure. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Jarrell Lemus, uh, says, I may have missed it, but where can I find the writings of Colton Carlson? Where, where can people go to actually maybe download or maybe on a website or something like that, where they can find uh, your 300 page? Um, home?
1: academia edu so you can do that uh, it's free ca- account that you can make um, and you can download it free there um academia edu you can just search my name colton carlson philosophy or a brief philosophical response or brief philosophical and dialectical inquiry and then i should pop up and then you can download it it's 300 and it's hyperlinked so you can click on the contents and everything if you don't want to read all of it just go through the section you want to read click on it takes you right there i try to make it like that Hmm. um there's number one and number two i have not really written responses but a lot of videos on youtube on the freed thinker so tyler bellows show some podcasts there some audio recordings irresistible truth i've done some videos there uh, against in some incompatibilists and then i have my own podcast um that's kind of still working my buddy just had a baby so we've been kind of not doing anything lately but sure um, it's called Truth C Squared because you know Colton Carlson. I don't know. I thought it was cute. <laughs> <laughs> <But> Truth <laughs> C squared. Uh then I have some podcast episodes where I kind of explain my view of providence and determinism and some objections to my model of a free will compatibilist defense.
0: Sure, sure. Awesome. Well, well, that's the final question. Uh on the list here, uh, rest in peace, mere Molinism. Probably not. It's probably going to be just de- continued de- to continually debated, which is fine, right? This is fruitful yeah. discussion. It's an in-house, uh, debate, uh, discussion. What I encourage people to do though, is to continue to have these debates and use them as an opportunity to practice, gentleness and respect in the midst of disagreement it's okay to disagree you shouldn't be offended right i when i every time i kind of scroll through youtube or whatever sometimes i'll find someone made a video about something i said i'm like oh snap someone made a review video i was like it's easy to the first knee-jerk reaction is to be like to be offended but you know what not everyone's gonna agree and that's okay as long as we're able yeah. to navigate it in a way that's that's honoring to christ i think that's important yeah absolutely well, Colton, I would definitely love to have you back on. I was thinking um, the preview, I think a couple of episodes ago, I had what I what I titled the Epic Pre-Sup, uh, round Roundtable. I want to do something similar and call it the Epic Calvinism Roundtable. And maybe uh, I'll have you on with a bunch of other people, some unlikely guests that I can hopefully uh, convince to come on. Would you be interested in doing something like that in the future?
1: Yeah, let's, do it. let's
0: try to set it up. Awesome. awesome. Well, you've done a great job and folks uh, just looking at the comments, folks have benefited from this conversation a lot. So if you enjoyed this conversation um, I know I did, I'm I'm learning and I'm definitely going to go back and uh, finish reading um, Colton's uh, book. I keep accidentally calling it an article, but, um, but if you guys um, enjoyed this, share it, uh, talk about it and continue to engage in the comments uh, and um, you know, Um, I hope this has been beneficial. So that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks again. And um, God bless. Bye-bye.